Welcome everyone to the REST podcast, where our goal is to help each and every one of you displace confusion, chaos, and dis-ease in order to heal and find significance in life. I am your host, Natalie Williams, and I am here with the author of The Reconstitution Method for Healing and Rest, Virginia Dixon. In honor of Breast Cancer Awareness Month, we have with us an old-time friend and colleague of Virginia's, clinical nutritionist Liliana Partita. It's an absolute pleasure to have you here with us. Oh, thank you for inviting me. I'm really excited about this beautiful conversation we're going to have about awareness. Yeah. As am I. Thank you for coming, Liliana. I can't think of a more fun person to have this conversation with and to bring life in what would otherwise be a dull subject. Or perhaps it's not an exciting subject, but I think we have a lot to say, and I know you have a lot to say about this. But I want to say to our listening audience that over the last many years, I've had the privilege of working alongside of you. And it's just been fun. Although we barely got to glance at each other many, many days. I knew you were there and you knew I was there. And there was so much synergy in the kind of work that we did at the Cancer Center for Healing. And there was so much gratification, I think, in the process of walking alongside men and women, right, who had just been diagnosed or were in the process of navigating through the complexities of dealing with cancer, sometimes stage four cancer. And in the midst of it all, we found deep, we established a deep friendship and found great joy and amazing relationships with those we work with and those we serve. So I'm excited to talk to you about this today. Oh, me too. Tell us a little bit about yourself. And what you do. So people have context. Sure. Well, I kind of created a talent into a career. Uh, I was a, a track uh, track and field star, I would say. I was a state champion and kind of was just a natural progression that I would evolve from health and fitness into a career that led me into helping patients treat a variety of conditions. And it started with the, the desire to help my mother when she had gotten cancer. She'd gotten breast cancer. And I was actually living out of the country at the time and decided it's time for me to come home. So it was the first thing I did is I just jumped into all the ways that I could support her in her treatment and the journey that she was going through. So that led me to become a nutritionist. And because there was so much conflicting information in regards of Mm. treatment and traditional and also alternative therapies, that it was just overwhelming and confusing. So I kind of dove deep into it and I got my certification at the Institute of Natural Healing. And it just became such an incredible passion, not only to watch my mother recover, which later my father ended up getting leukemia as well. So I had a wonderful foundation being able to help them on this hero's journey and to watch the amazing work that the body can do when you give it the right environment, which led me into working with Dr. Learen Keneally. And I've been working here with her for 18 years. And we it was a wellness center as far as the practice. And then it it really kind of just out of the need, we created a huge center for the healing in regards of treating cancer patients. So 
the passion has led into a fabulous career mm-hmm. and it's something that I'm it's ongoing so it's never a dull moment like you said oh That's this right. could be a conversation that because you know it's heavy you know cancer is a heavy conversation it's not that it's a dull it's a shocking you get a diagnosis it's not something that you expect number one it's kind of like heart disease you don't even know you have it until you have an episode and the same thing with that so there's so many facets of a diagnosis so for me and like for you we're working on the whole person we're not working on just the area the tumor we're working on uh, creating the synergy and you know reestablishing that uh, their their mind and their body are not separate well i'm glad you brought that up and i do want to touch on something that you just said dr learen keneally wrote a book called the cancer revolution Mm -hmm there is a cure for cancer. It's called prevention. I don't remember if that's on the title, but we live in that world and have seen miracles. Yeah. Right? Absolutely. And something that is often at the forefront of so many people's minds, and that is can breast cancer or any cancer for that matter be prevented? And I would say, you know, statistically speaking, that we're looking at lifestyle in general can be 85 to 90 percent. And so, of course, that's not just what you eat. It's how you sleep and how you exercise, how you move your body, your detoxification. We really are not taught to do internal detoxification. We're taught to take a shower, brush your teeth. But we've forgotten the most important element in regards of getting rid of excess And so one of the things that I love about what I do is getting to educate the patient to really recognize that this, what is happening to them is not outside their scope and to not give power to that that is outside their scope, like the doctors know everything. I said, you know, you employ us. So really, you're at the mm-hmm. you're at the helm, right? And so if you don't like what you're hearing from a doctor, or you don't feel that you're synergistically connected with them, that they're not listening to you, well, it's really important for you to be able to speak your truth so that you can have the safety. Because I think the biggest thing for all patients is that when they come into the situation, the reality of their mortality, right? Mm-hmm. And we all know we're going to die. And I don't. I feel that patients really aren't afraid of dying. Because they know that that's, you know, obviously a given. What they're afraid of is how and what they're going to feel. That's right. It's suffering. Yeah. Right. And so what I try to get everybody to put their attention on is don't get too far out in the future. Because the future can be very scary and it's an illusion. But the biology is experiencing as it is so. So you're creating a plethora of chemistry that's going to lower the immunity rather than to bolster it back up and to recognize that all the answers are within and that all we have to do is just be willing to turn over lots of different rocks. What's underneath that rock, right? And we've seen the consequence of, as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. We've seen the consequence of the transformation that comes with really thinking about what we think about and things that would otherwise drown us as we broaden the prism of those things and we understand why that there's a wide range of theories, of research, of information out there. As we step into that alongside the patient's, transformation happens and that can be instrumental in what's happening. No, not can be is instrumental in what begins to happen in their biology. You said something about detoxing Mm -hmm. and it isn't just the food and the lifestyle. It's the choices. It's the decisions. It's the thoughts. And sometimes it's 
relationships and the emotional constitution of detoxification. And I know you deal with that quite a bit. Yeah. And uh, probably the first thing that I asked the patients is what childhood adversities did they have? Right. Because in German medicine, we believe that every disease has an origin in the emotion. And so often patients will go, wow, I never expected to get what you're asking me or or what information that you're giving me out of a nutritional consultation. Right. And it's because I don't deal just with the physical. I'm looking at all levels. So I want to know their emotional status, their stress status. Mm -hmm. Are they happy? Uh, Do they have a circle of influence that is inspiring and supporting? And many people, they don't. They don't. I mean, even science is caught up to the fact that people heal so much faster when they have a, a supporting environment. And so I tell patients, if you have no family and you have no brothers and sisters and things like that, then, you know, where's your tribe? Church is the best place. You know, our organization where we can do spiritual work and we can support each other or different organizations or support group, but we need each other. You cannot do this alone. And if you try to do it alone, then your mind plays really so many tricks on you and you end up way far in the future of what if, and then it's what if I die? What is going to happen? How this is going to work? And who's going to, what about my children? Who's going to take care of this? And I said, oh my God, look what you're doing. You are stealing this very moment from all those people you love by being in the future, by even looking at your child and wondering if you're ever going to see that child get married or have children. And, and, and in that moment, you're not present right? You're disassociating. And so I always tell patients, look, you didn't sign up for this. You didn't put your your ticket in the lottery, but all of a sudden you got the lottery ticket that you are on a hero's journey. I mean, hero's journey, who wants to be on a hero's journey? It's going to be treacherous. It's going to be the unknown. You're going to have to have sacrifice. There's going to be suffering along the way. And all your families and your friends and your support people, they're your cheerleaders, but they're not on your journey, right? And so I said, even the times where it's the most difficult for you, they're not going to be there. So you have to be your best advocate. Mm-hmm. You have to be your your best friend, your best, best spiritual advisor, your best mother. Are you that? Are you capable? And if you feel that you haven't been that because you have a lot of critical voice inside the head, then I teach them what that looks like. And that's self-care, self-love. You gave me an interesting statistic in a handout last night. Yeah. And one of the questions was, if you don't have a family history of breast cancer, mm-hmm. is it necessary, do you think, to take these active steps to prevent cancer? Or am I relatively safe if I don't have breast cancer? You, you stated some interesting statistics that in 2004, cancer accounted for 13% of deaths worldwide. That's about 7.4 million people. Yeah. But with projections now estimating to increase at a rate of 12 million deaths, that's one of every two people. One in every two people will develop cancer in their lifetime. How accurate are you seeing that play out since you've been in the field for almost 20 years? Honestly, I feel like it's an epidemic. Mm-hmm. Okay. I do too. It's 100%. an epidemic and it's it frightens me because again, people aren't waking up and they're not getting serious until they actually have a situation. So I think prevention is the best medicine. That's right. And so again, early detection is really important. Yearly examinations, palpitation of the breast. I mean, I tell my patients on a weekly basis, you should be palpitating your breast and the best time to do it is when you're in the shower in the bathtub with a little bit of soap so it's very slippery so that you can get kind of, you know, in circular motions around 
around your breast. Look for areas. And so for me, I'm very aware of my body, you know, whether I'm doing shiatsu on the bottom of my foot and I go, oh, this area is a tender. And I look it up. Oh, here's my intestinal tract or here's my lungs or here's my that. Because reflexology is a very practical way. It's specific and it's practical way to find when something's off in your body. 100%. And it's been used for hundreds of years. Thousands. Yeah. Yeah. Thousands of years. Exactly. I want to ask another question. Yeah. Because I saw this on your notes as well. Mm -hmm. Diet is a very practical step. Everyone of our listening audience can take into consideration their diet. Would you please go through the statistics that you shared with me and specific diet suggestions that yeah. you think are imperative? So, because we're always looking at what 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 portion is contributing, right? So they say that thirty three percent of lifestyle is, but when it comes to breast cancer, fifty percent will be based upon the diet, and so. The diet is so important because it's the foundation. It's like we got to build our house with a good foundation, then the walls start coming up. And also a foundation is stress management because you can have all the wonderful vitamins and the great organic foods. But if you're under stress and the sympathetic nervous system is on fire, you will never heal. Mm. And if you do heal for a temporary period, it will come back within a five-year period. And this is why when I call it the hero's journey, I say, don't rush to get to the other end where you've got a piece of paper that says you're in remission. That's not the goal. The goal is to pick up your pearls of wisdom of your suffering so that you are a different person when you get to the vista. So you're looking at at everything from a different point of view. Exactly. And we know that, well, right here, you'd mentioned that studies show vegetarian diets are at least modestly cancel protective yeah, is so that it's, correct? It's very true. And so a lot of times I'm not a doctor. So as a nutritionist, I will comply with whatever the orders the doctor feels is going to be the most effective. So a lot of times our patients are asked to do a vegetarian or a vegan diet because of the estrogenic effects of, of meats and also to the heterocyclic almonds in, in meats when they cook them. So depending on the type of cancer, uh, we would recommend different types of diets. So I would say overall in general, you know, vegetarian diet is good for everyone. But again, if you don't have a situation where you have a compromised immune system, then I call myself a flexitarian. I'm flexible. You know, when I have an intuition of having some animal protein, my diet might do. But of course, I'm even thinking about the planet and the footprint of the planet. So vegetarian diets are going to be very helpful on that level as well. But again, you've got a lot of phytonutrients, a lot of raw foods, a lot of enzymes, a lot of alkalinity, a lot of water, minerals that really support the body. Because why why do we get cancer? I mean, if you had a 7.4 four to eight pH all the time, you wouldn't get disease. You wouldn't get, it wouldn't have a fertile soil. And so again, so many people because of, I don't know, sheer laziness oftentimes don't eat vegetables because they got to wash them. They got to chop them. They, you know, they don't, they forget about them in the refrigerator. Then they go to waste. So then they just don't want to bother. So they end up eating dead food, right? Packaged processed, even foods that they pick up at restaurants and stuff, it's not going to be with good oils. It's not even going to be with good energy because the person behind their cooking may be upset. And and I always say vibrational frequency is really important. So as you're cooking, you have to have the mindset, I'm putting love into this food. I mean, this is why mother's food always tastes so fantastic because the mother's cooking and she's like, oh, everybody's going to love this so much. And she even looks at looking at the children or what have you when 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 they got their food because she's looking for the look on their face, right? And so we 
hope so. Yeah, we hope so. <laughs> we oh, hope yeah. so. Let, let's just say in my condition, that's what it was. My mother was a superb chef. And so all of her daughters, eight daughters, are all superb chefs as well, because we got inspired by the flavors and the passion behind cooking. So I tell every patient, we are not going to give up an ounce of flavor. What we're going to do is we're going to create swap out. So everything that you've identified as what I call a homing food, things that my mom made that made me feel loved and things of that nature, because we all have cultural food, right? Asians have the rice and, you know, the beans and the tortillas and, and pastas. And so we all have our cultural foods. I don't want you not to have those, but what we want to do is turn them into a lookalike. Okay. And so I have created an incredible amount of recipes that are homing foods for every different culture that they could have that's going to be super low in sugar. So why should we give up the ritual of fabulous food and taste because we have a condition? By the way, I'm going to have you on another podcast to discuss those recipes and that cookbook and everything (laughs) because it is fantastic. And Liliana is an amazing cook. I want to mention something because rest is all about reconciling confusion, chaos, and dis-ease. Oftentimes during Mm mealtime, there's so much distress and anxiety. Yeah. And that food literally turns into, it turns toxic when we consume it. Acidic. Acidic. And it is toxic to our body. It's not healthy. And there's other complexities associated with that as well. So I wanted you to talk about lightening the toxin load behaviorally and being intentional about the conversations we have Mm -hmm. certainly is one of them. But how else do people lighten the toxin load? The toxin burden load. Mm-hmm. So there's sometimes yeah. like, and you mentioned specifically that when vegetables get old and they lose their life, everything yeah. just loses yeah. their life, right? So you want to eat them and consume them as quickly as possible. But yeah, I wanted you to address the toxin load. Okay. So there's no body that doesn't have bugs. All right, whether they're parasites, virus, bacteria. And so we're never going to get rid of them entirely. What we want to do is mow the lawn so that we have that beautiful golf course looking lawn. Because if if a golf course lawn was intended, Mm -hmm. the weeds would grow a lot faster than the normal lawn. So that's what bugs do. So for me, when I see a patient, one of the first things I want to address besides the emotional aspect, and because honestly, we emotionally eat, okay, if we're, it's all dopamine hit to the brain, you know, it's just like, Sugar is like cocaine. It lights up the brain like crazy. So I want to talk about that in regards to the choices that they have and even why they're having those choices. And so what does cancer thrive off of? Sugar. What do all these opportunistic bugs thrive off of? Sugar. So the first thing that I get them to understand is what is sugar? Okay. Sugar is everything from the plant kingdom. doesn't matter if it's a vegetable, a fruit, a bean, or a grain. It has a glucose component to it. Although it has amino acids and other constituents and fats, if I were going to weigh it on a scale, it would lean towards sugar more than anything. Mm -hmm. So I explained to them, let's divide it into two categories, superior, inferior, not good and bad. Because if I eat a bad food, I'm going to want punishment. That means that my diagnosis or my fear is going to get bigger. And so I try to talk in almost like in a storytelling manner because the brain accepts stories really well, right? Mm. And so I say, okay, you got a a sports team and you have 10 people, okay? So this side, you need nine players and you can only get one player from this side, which is the inferior side. You got superior and inferior food. So I explained to them the superior food from the plant kingdom, when I put it in my mouth, it's not sweet. It's 
bitter to the taste. All your cruciferous vegetables, especially with breast cancer, those are all have indole-3-carbonyl in it, which helps to mop up those extra estrogens, right? What's an example of... Like broccoli and, okay. and cauliflower and cabbage and kale and spinach and all of these. They're bitter foods. And, and in fact, some people, like myself, I had to teach myself how to, how to like bitter foods, okay? But interestingly enough, on, on an, another level of intuition of the body, I also had a mutation in regards of sulfur. So my body doesn't digest those foods very well and can be allergenic to me. So there's so many different aspects. So this is why working for a medical office is so viable Absolutely. because I can get so much information, whether it's food sensitivities or the, how their gut is or their methylation in terms of detoxification. Yeah. Well, we can pull up their medical file. Oh, it's just great. You, you know, there's so much information, mm-hmm. but so the, the, the low sugar foods are going to be bitter and they're also going to shrink when you cook them. So if I have a big bag of spinach, it turns into a small one cup. And so if it shrinks, it's going to shrink your problem. Okay. And if it excretes water, it's going to support you. And so the foods that are of high sugar, they're not bad foods. There's wonderful foods in the high sugar foods. It's just that they may be more load than the macronutrient mathematical formula I'm going to give you, right? I said, you know, a good food, God's food picked in organic in nature, which is really important because we don't want the pesticides and the herbicides, which are all hormonal disruptors that turn into xenoestrogens, very problematic. And the quality of our food. But these other foods that are really high sugar, it's not that they're bad, but two tablespoons of sweet potato can be nine grams of sugar equal to three cups of broccoli. So if I've got a big appetite, I want to see my plate full. I don't want to just be this, you know, because just that in itself already depresses me because I love food, right? Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, no, heck no, that's not going to work for me. And they, when they do want these foods, because there's many patients that come to us in very late stage and they might have cachexia, which is mean muscle wasting and their body's just breaking them down and using it for food. So then I have to be really careful because when these foods shrink, and they're low sugar, they will also shrink your waistline Mm. and you will lose more weight. Mm. So then I have to be very careful on that line in regards of sharing with them that yes, they can have these higher sugar foods, but in condiment style. So does that mean popcorn with a box of hot tamales? (laughs) No, absolutely not. No, 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 that's your dream. That's That's my go-to. And then who who doesn't like popcorn? But again, it's probably one of the highest. Yeah, I don't know about that, but uh, that that, that must be your culture because you know, I, I, I turned mine into a gourmet popcorn. But the bottom line is I don't do well with popcorn. In fact, the other night I thought emotionally, oh, I'm going to have some popcorn, you know? And then of course I put dolts and, and brewer's yeast on there and Parmesan and truffle. I mean, it's like oh killer. I mean, it's like, okay, you know, there's no way that I'm not going to eat that whole bowl, right? But the next day I had gosh darn eczema. Yeah. Right. Just that quickly. The queen, the cleaner you are, the faster you get these reactions. And I thought, OK, and I'm trying to be kind. I'm sorry you have this feeling and it's itching and it's bothering you. But at the same time, I get it. I understand. So if I'm going to eat popcorn, I know the likelihood of me getting an, a reaction. It's so it's not that I don't know. So I'm not blind. I, I, I understand. Right. So if I get my patients to understand the chemistry of food, they have choice. And if they eat something like popcorn and they get an effect, well, it's not a very good effect. I mean, am I going to eat popcorn next week? Heck no. I probably have had it four or five times in five years. 
Okay. But sometimes I think it's important to get out of your system, eat it, yeah. feel bad. And honestly, <laughs> and remember, you don't want to go remember, there. Remember, yeah. right. And then yeah. when you do have the other foods that you mentioned yeah. and you think about the good they're doing in your body, that, that can be satisfying too. Oh, for sure. And it's not that, okay, so we look at popcorn, all right? Genetic modification. So it's pretty hard to get anything that the body can do well with, right? Yeah. I mean, I'm Mexican. We come from the corn family, right? But again, we've, we've adulterated our foods. Mm-hmm. So that that was once good for us as a culture is not necessarily so, I mean, look at the rice, the arsenic, right? And so yeah. the cultures that depend upon this, and all of a sudden now they're having this environmental overload, this genetic modification, body doesn't know what to do with it. So when the body starts having all of these erroneous foods that doesn't understand the chemical structure, what is it going to do? The immune system is going to attack it. Mm-hmm. So if your immune system is constantly in vigilance of what it needs to get rid of, foods that you're consuming that are allergenic to you, the parasites, the virus, the candida, the Epstein-Barr virus, when does it have time to be vigilant of the invaders that are coming and marching into our home? which is our body. And so food is essential. And I want them to really look at it as this is medicine. And things like sweet potato, it's very alkaline in nature, but it is high in sugar. So I say just a little teeny bit into your salad and a little, little, use it as a condiment and color and texture, but don't let it be the main event anymore, right? Like I'm not going to have a bowl of quinoa and on top of that, a bowl of beans and on top of that, some chips with that. No way. That's about 70 grams of sugar. Yeah. Right. And so many people, when they go into vegetarian, vegan diets, they get full because you want to be full after you finish eating. And and, and animal protein makes you feel full very, very quickly, right? In your brain, they end up having like 70 to 100 grams of carbohydrates at one meal. So people are shocked when I tell them banana's got 27 carbohydrates. They go, well, I use it for potassium. And I go, well, avocado has more potassium. Mm -hmm. Okay. And it's not going to stimulate insulin and it's going to not feed your bacteria. It's going to be a friendly, you know, a good healthy fat for you. So when you teach patients the science of food, you also teach them that a lot of times they're not at fault for the foods that they're choosing because they have an emotional imbalance. And they're looking for dopamine hits, right? right. And so casein morphine, gluten morphine, right? Sugar, if you take a diabetic brain and you take a cocaine brain, they look the same. That's right. So That's amazing. Yeah, they do. Yeah. I tell my patients, we're going into sugar rehab. (laughs) Okay. Okay. That's not funny. That could be really (laughs) She's like, wait a minute. I love gummy bears. Are you feeling attacked? I am. I'm feeling attacked. Actually, my mouth is salivating when you guys are talking about food. This is also Um, what we call cravings. That's right. You know, in, in all honesty, we should not have cravings because think of your of, of your stomach as a gas tank. You go to the gas station, you fill up your tank with full tank of gas. You should expect to go 400 miles. Well, we should expect to go four hours without getting hungry after we eat a meal that's that right. is hormonally balanced. And so I tell patients, if you're hungry too quick, too soon, like in an hour and a half, and you're mentally alert, you haven't had enough calories. If you are hungry too quick, too soon, and you're tired, you ate too many carbohydrates. So I can give them all of these little things that can make them aware of themselves. If you get a histamine reaction, when you eat a food, your blood type O and you start, <coughs> then your white blood cells are attacking your food. If you're an AB blood type or B blood type, you're going to get nasal congestion. And all of a sudden that is a reaction of your immune system. So when you start becoming aware of yourself, you can start course correcting really easily and go, oh my gosh, what am I eating right now? I'm getting a histamine reaction. Oh yeah, I, I'm ha- I ordered a piece of fish and they probably did it in a little bit of flour, right? When we do 
the segment on your cookbook and we break down foods, I would love for you to make a list of those for us to go through. Okay. And Natalie can perhaps post it on somewhere. I don't Heck, know. Post I, it on I'll, one of the I'll buy the cookbook and I'll, I know. I'll cook from it and I'll post but, it. But the, <laughs> that's right. But the symptoms are really important. Oh, yeah. I never understood why I loved the idea of an egg, but when I eat eggs, I just don't feel right. And then I energy tested. Can you talk about energy testing food? I actually teach my patients how to do their own kinesiology checking because it's, I mean, I'm not always going to be around. They're not always going to have something that supports them and instruments to do this. So I, and they don't need to go pay $350 for somebody to do it. But the thing, what I also teach them is that they have to make sure that their right and left brain hemisphere are speaking to each other, right? That's so, right. So I say that your thymus gland is a good place to place something on the center of your chest, the center of the chest, like just like you know, just like here's your Adam's apple, maybe three inches below that, right? Not not, not the center of the chest, but just slightly up. Okay, I say, well, okay. You know, what you can just do is you can take whatever it is that you're kind of wondering if it's going to be advantageous to you or not and place it. An avocado. Take an avocado. Take an avocado. Okay. So then I have them stand upright, right? And in neutral position, I have them with their feet underneath their hips and I just have them look straight ahead, keep their head neutral, but look down at a 45 degree angle with their eyes so they can emotionally go into the emotional connection. Don't bend down, but just keep it neutral. And then I say, okay, say a statement that's true so we can see if your brain is speaking to itself. So I say, state your name. And so you state it like I'd say, my name is Liliana. Okay. And I just wait. And if, if my brain is communicating, I should move forward when it's a yes. That's right. Okay. So then when I, then, so I want to say, okay, now I want to say something that's not true. My name is Sam. Then my body should go back. So once that I've established that my right and left brain hemisphere are speaking to each other, then I would take whatever it is. And I show people all the time, I'll take a, a, a supplement that might be in my room and I'll say, I'll put out my chest and I'll say, this is safe and appropriate. And I watch to see if my body goes forward or back. And how I show them is I take a cell phone and I put it there. And I say, this is safe and appropriate. And 100% of the time, I, That's go, right. back. I go back, right? Mm-hmm. So this is something that they can do. Now, what happens if they go f- forward on, um, on no, right? If, if they, then they have a reverse polarity or sometimes they go in circular motions where their body's not going forward and back. And then these patients have not done what I call enough right-left movement. In, in terms of the hemisphere, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. they, everything's linear in their life. They're, they, everything's linear. They sit, they walk, but people who exercise or who do yoga or tai chi, you know, the movement's so flowy, you go right to left and you move all around, you have better communication. So I teach them kind of how, when you first learned to crawl, you were trying to have that identification of right, left brain movement. So I teach them cross crawl, you know, I just have them march in place, but they put one hand on the left and one hand in the right opposite hands. And then I have them test again and they actually test much better. So again, you're giving them more idea of who they are. Yeah. Become aware of yourself, right? I just want to touch briefly on the lifestyle factors that contribute to breast cancer. Basic ones are stress, sleep deprivation, Mm -hmm. leaky gut. Yeah. Do you want to say anything about leaky gut? We talked about the toxins, right? Leaky gut is really prevalent. Okay. And Mm -hmm. so people are experiencing bloating, gas, distension of the abdomen, pain. I mean, at our our clinic, 
we always look at bugs for everything. You know, we, we step right outside the box very, very quickly. So again, we have a lot of things that we can test with that, whether it's energetic frequency, where I can scan somebody, kind of like kinesiology. Are you matching up with this frequency, kind of like homeopathy, right? But as I said, everyone has bugs. So that's the first thing we look at is how do we take the, the load down? Most yeah. patients who have cancer have a, a, a very high viral load and especially things like Epstein-Barr virus, okay? So again, those are the fire, right? It's, it's like, that's like the putting the fuel to the fire, right? We're adding petroleum. And so you got a clean house. So a candida cleanse, for example, the lifestyle of, of a diet for any patient who has an immunity issue, whether it is cancer and or let's just say an autoimmune disorder, is we really try to look at how do we create balance throughout the entire body. And we start with the GI system. So if you have a leaky gut, that means that you've been compromised in terms of the the junctures of the gut. So they're supposed to be really, really tight. And what happens is if we eat foods that are offensive, that we don't break down very well, and we don't have- Give an example, eggs, dairy. So eggs and dairy are very high on the allergen. Soy is very high on the allergen. Nuts are very high on the allergen. Gluten is very high on the allergen. Processed meats. Yeah, yeah, processed meats. We just don't even have them. They're not a focus. Vocabulary and <laughs> they're not a vocabulary in an immunity a compromised diet, right? Because those are just basically carcinogens. So the goal is, is that we want to recognize that cleaning house is not an option. That's the first thing we're going to look at. And then once we actually support the immune system in regards of the gut, mending the junctures, which means we take the offensive things away, whether they're food sensitivities, whether they're the bugs, let's remove them. And then let's replenish it with the the enzyme so that you can break down because you need an acidic stomach. Your blood needs to be very alkaline. 7.4, you know, is is normalcy, but your gut needs like to be a 0.2 in acidity. Otherwise you can't break down these foods. And oftentimes so many people don't have enough enzymes of what's called hydrochloric acid, which creates that real acidity in the gut to what I would say, discourage those bugs from taking up house. But if you don't have the enzymes, you don't have a good army boy. It's just like, whoo-hoo, the hood, you know, all the bad boys are going to come all, you know, your heavy metals and all of these things. Heavy metals is a big thing too. So that's the first thing we're going to do is we're going to decrease the viral load, the toxin load, and then start to support the immune system and then go into the into treatments. Obesity increases the risk of some types of cancer. Yeah. And consistent evidence also indicates that overweight and obesity are significant risk factors for cancer reoccurrence. So kind of think of it this way, is your fat cells, especially around the stomach, turn into an endocrine system and they produce bad estrogens. So you'll notice that men, right, when they're in a diabetic situation, they've got this pregnancy belly. Oh my gosh, they're not only such high risk for obviously diabetes because they're there when they have that heart disease, but cancer. Yeah. And, you know, men get breast cancer just as, I mean, not as likely as a woman does, but there are cases with men getting breast cancer. And it's, and oftentimes you see this estrogenic effect, not only in the belly, but you can see men have gynomastica. They start to get breasts. Yeah. And so your fat cells literally start acting like an intricate organ producing the bad estrogens. So obesity, figure it this way, most oftentimes when we have an excess and people are in an obese state, they're no longer able to use fat for fuel. And so they store it and all of a sudden now they are in a huge risk category. So the first thing I look at is every patient's hemoglobin A1C. That's not a fasting. Fasting doesn't, it just tells me how 
how well you met- metabolized last night's dinner to this morning. But a hemoglobin A1C tells me how much sugar has been in your blood over a three-month period. Wow. People will go, oh my gosh, nobody ever told me I was diabetic before. And I said, well, your hemoglobin A1C has been at a six, a 6.2 for for a long time coming from the results we get from another clinic that they sent them over to us. And I said, well, my doctor says that's in the norm. I said, yeah, it's in the norm heading you straight towards disease. I that's said, no, right. we want to really think alternatives. When it starts to get at 5.23, we start want to backpedal because a normal hemoglobin, a wonderful hemoglobin A1C is going to be from 4 to 5.3. We start getting to 5.5, 5, 5, 6, we're starting to get in trouble. So if you can circumvent at that point, it makes a huge difference Good. in regards to the diseases that they're going to end up with. Well, there's so much more to say along the lines of diet, lifestyle and whatnot. But I do want to finish with something that is near and dear to my heart, yeah. as is yours, is that the emotional constitution of cancer can be so clearly traced to unresolved emotional conflicts. And secrets. And secrets, yeah. Unrest in the nest. Yeah. We know is behind the emotional constitution of specifically breast cancer. We're going to break this down in later episodes. But just close us up with what you've observed in that. Well, I do a lot of emotional work at the center. And when I talk to these patients, a lot of them have had childhood experiences of abuse. Okay. Now remember, the mind can create stories so that you can adapt, cope, but the body holds all the wounds. Okay. That's right. And, and, and they become scars that are thick, so we don't feel it anymore. So if I can get patients to really not blame themselves for anything, but to go, start to go back all the way in regards of any emotions, whether it was bullying or shame or any of these things, they all matter. And the emotional component is so huge. And when I talk to my patients, they'll say, I'm on my second time of having cancer and the only and I thought I was doing everything second, right. Second, third and second, sometimes third, fourth, fourth rounds. Yeah. 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 And they said the only thing that I've never done is the emotional mm-hmm. work. And so when they do it, people will say to me, This is the one cornerstone that I never did that to me right now was the most effective in my healing process. And we have seen several people come to mind yeah. immediately. We've seen yeah. spontaneous remissions yeah. among those patients. So I wish we had more time to get into the anatomy yes. of this and we'll continue but thank you so much for joining us oh i love to be here anytime clean house emotionally physically spiritually mentally mentally and most practically think about what you're eating yeah. amen and do it all in the name of prevention that's right in the name of- <laughs> thank you natalie thanks liliana Awesome. Thank you both so much. If you would like to learn more about Liliana and her work or to schedule an appointment, please go to www.lilianapartita.com. As I said last week, our next afternoon of rest at the villa is on October 16th with a focus on unrest in the nest. With this event, we hope to not only bring awareness, but to also inspire, support, and bring freedom to those who are currently experiencing this disease or have in the past. For updates about rest and this podcast, please visit our Instagram or Facebook, The Place of Rest. If you would like more information about Virginia or to support and join the cause of rest, please go to virginiadixon.com forward slash collaborate. Thank you for listening to Rest with Virginia Dixon. We'll see you next week.